Bienvenidos, welcome to the Latino Underground, a podcast dedicated to the reclamation and exploration of Latino identity. Through counter-narrative stories, we hope to give you tools by which to navigate an oppressive system. Stay tuned. Yo, what's good, good people? In today's session, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with the homie Carlos, Carlos Vallinas. I met Carlos back in 2011-2012 when we were both going through the process of obtaining a master's in higher education through the Enlace program at NEIU. Um, so throughout this program, it was cohorted. Carlos was one of the cats that was, uh, that was part of it. And it was just a really, really dope experience. Uh, we ended up going to Cuba together as a uh, study abroad component to the program. Um, and throughout this program, like we just, you know, we ended up bonding. Uh, one of the one of the emphasis of the program was building community. We would have Saturday sessions where one of the professors, uh, Rich Rutschman, would incorporate a lot of uh, Native American um, practices, right? So we'd do uh, circles and we would just uh, unpack the shit that we were going through and what we were learning. Um, so throughout the years, Carlos and I have kept in touch and he's one of those cats that, um, he's from Puebla, I'm from Puebla and we'll stop talking for, you know, months at a time, years at a time. And then it, we just pick up right where we left off. Carlos is also currently in the process of obtaining his, uh, doctoral degree, his, uh, PhD from Loyola University. Um, so he's going through this, uh, craziness, um, and very grateful for my brother to have taken the time to, uh, you know, to share his story. Carlos's story will be broken down into two segments. Uh, this will be the first one. So without further ado, here's Carlos's story. First and foremost, Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time to be, um, you know, to be part of this uh, little project and shit. Matt, appreciate it. Um, yeah. You're one of the cats I really want to interview because one, you're going through the process of, um, you know, achieving this, this similar goal, right, of becoming like a PhD, which not a lot of people, Latinos within the U.S. have, you know, have have had the opportunity, I would say, to to accomplish, right? And I want to say yeah. opportunity because it's not a matter of want or or will, you know, it's more so a matter of access to a certain extent, right? And I think what, what are we at? We're at 03 percent of the Latino population in the U.S. hold a PhD, right? Right. Yeah. Este, so yeah, you're going through the process, bro. So like one, I wanted to pick your lens on that. Um, yeah. Like I've known you for a hot minute now, you know, so yeah. the process, like um, I think you um, more so than a lot of uh, people in the cohort, like have had, um, you know, we, we have like a similar perspective on, on, on shit, you know, in terms of yeah. family, academia and stuff like that. So yeah, bro, I was looking forward to it. So Matt, appreciate your time, bro. Yeah, likewise. I'm grateful to do it, bro. Love to have a conversation. So. I'd like to start the, the session with, uh, with an assumption, I guess, to a certain extent, but also, I think, a very important question, man. Uh, yeah. So in my perspective, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when a Latino uh, student is going to face, uh, you know, um, oppression or uh, racism within the classroom. Um, yeah. I guess that's the first question, bro. Like, uh, when did you realize that education in America was a sense um, oppressive? That's a good question, bro. You know, I, I'm, I am currently um, in the process of uh, developing the methodology section for my project, right, again. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, pro, uh, I'm doing the interview protocol for my project. So my hope is to interview 
students or people who are no longer students who have engaged ethnic studies curriculum. Uh, and, and, and as I'm trying to develop the, pro, the protocol, I also am asking this, a similar kind of question, but I think, uh, when did you realize you were Latino? When did the identity of uh, Latinidad, as you understood it, uh, become a word to you, right? Like I remember when I was a kid, I didn't know I was Latino or Mexicano. I didn't know I spoke Spanish until something other than that told me that it was different. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Uh, and that normally happens in school, right? It's the, um, so I think I, I grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood as well, right? So yeah, you, you don't really, I'm like, when did you find out that the homie Juan was Puerto Rican and you were Mexican? And there was a, and then when did, when was there any tension at all? Uh, so I think in some way I, I learned that early on in like, uh, I don't, like maybe like the first or second grade, to be honest with you, you know, like, uh, like, like discrimination in the, in the sense like there's like a, there, there is, um, there are tensions, right, from the identity that not so much you possess because it, it is imposed upon you, and then because it's imposed, then you develop a possession over it. In my opinion, you know, um, and, and then there's like the, there's not I don't know if there's any sort of like major moment that like this was a moment that I knew like uh, the discrimination happened, but it's like all of these kind of micro moments, right? What like back in like 2015, it was able to call microaggressions and shit like that, you know. Um, like, uh, and it happened in my experience with like the, the tension that I think is systemic that kind of pitted Latinos against Latinos, like you and Blacks, right? Like uh, you had, I, I grew up in a, in a Puerto Rican and Mexican and also Black neighborhood, right? And I remember being called Beaner. Uh, I, I remember people calling my parents wetbacks. And I remember people of my kind of like uh, uh, identity also saying horrible stuff about other people as well, right? Um, I think the way I understand discrimination now, it's, uh, or I think at least a lot of the conversation about discrimination now is in relation to um, white systems against uh, people of color, right? Uh, I, I, I didn't really interact with white people at all until like college in some way, because I was also in like an insulated community, which I think is to the benefit of me, which is when I think about my, my, my upbringing as, horrible as it could have been because of the systems that in place, like, you know, just challenges to the community. It was also dope. Um, but I, yeah, I think when I first engaged discrimination was during that time when I was like, started when I was a chamaco, right? Into high school, into the tensions that happened between people of the same community. And then I think like the, the bigger structure that is like systemic oppression that is like trying to uphold a value of whiteness is what really made us off have these tensions with each other, right? It's like, I think my mom's a janitor, right? Uh, and when I was a kid, my mom was fighting for that janitor job with other people of oppressed communities, right? And that janitor is working for a white organization that's cleaning up white shit for white people. You know what I'm saying? So like, like uh, this white organization, like, I'm gonna give y'all a job that pays six fifty an hour, but I'm only gonna give five for this community and whoever gets it, it's gonna create like a tension, like just like a capitalistic, um, um, uh, kind of variable that it comes into play with the way discrimination happened in that way. I don't know about making sense, but like uh, uh, that's in some way how I started to uh, experience discrimination, uh, not so much for my body, but like the, the things that I would see in my community as well, right? It's a different lens to it, which is dope, you know? And you know, also I think about like, 
I, I started experiencing discrimination when I would watch movies, bro. Uh, I watched Coming, I Blew Up the Kids. I watched this movie called Three Ninjas. I remember watching these movies and I remember thinking, man, I want to be white. And this was me like as a six-year-old, right? I want to be Coke from Three Ninjas. I want to be that kid that has those clothes and has that, they eat waffles from that movie. Because we didn't eat waffles, you know, we ate fucking frijoles every day, all for all meals, it felt like, you know? So I think I, I experienced an internalized hate, maybe, that was systemic from outside structures early on in my life, I feel, you know? And then I think uh, whenever I wouldn't interact with white people, it was in school, from teachers or um, administrators, things like that. And I remember seeing them as bigger than me, seeing them as better than me, and them not deconstructing that. So them kind of playing into it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I, it was hard for me to look at white people in the eyes because I'm like, oh no. I'm, and I never really, I never really investigated that. I never thought much about it, but it was just like a matter of fact thing that I did that I didn't really think about until I got into really college and like my adult years. So yeah, that's I think the way I experienced discrimination early on. In high school, I remember, um, really into eighth grade, being in the bus stop, you know, trying to take the X-47 bus to go home from Clemente. Cops would routinely stop a group of kids that would uh, go to the bus stop. But I also, when the cops would stop us and they would like help us kind of get down and they would search us, I also didn't perceive it as a bad thing because it was just normal. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, it, we, I didn't have the tools to see this as an abnormal thing because it was just matter of fact, you know? I remember seeing them do that to other kids. And when it happened to me, I'm like, oh, this is just the way it goes here, right? And I'm like, all right, do your thing. Don't talk shit. Don't say horrible things to us. You kind of laugh it off, right? Uh, and then you you hope to not miss the bus that's coming in two minutes because you can see it in the far of you, right? That was discrimination, though I didn't understand it as discrimination at that very moment. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, discrimination is a trip, I think, because it, it uh, it's like what Freddie says about, like, uh, uh, the oppressed, they don't, not having the, like the process of conscientization, we don't really have the tools to understand our oppression until somebody gives them to us in some way, you know? I didn't have the tools to understand the discrimination I was kind of being given uh, from like a bigger structure until I really learned it later on, right? Um, but I was also a really good tool for like these things because like, yeah, I would play into like the internal hate amongst the communities, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't even fucking know white people. The problem is, uh, you know, other Mexicanos are, are, you know, not in like a racial way, but like the hit people in my community, the tension in my community, the fact that Mauricio got his ass whooped by, the, you know, the kids from the block over there because he, we were like uh, celebrating Mexican Independence Day on September 16th in the Puerto Rican neighborhood, right? Those were the tensions that were prevalent in my upbringing. Um, anyway, I'm just kind of going on a tangent. Yeah, bro. You're definitely dropping some nuggets of knowledge there, right? Uh, you talk about these tensions, and for me, when I think of these tensions now, um, I always think back, you know, to me as a child, and how much of a tool of colonization I was as a child, and how much the system purposely, I guess, made me become that way, right? Because if we think of the role we played in the assimilation process for our parents, we were vital within that role, right? We were the ones that were introducing new things into the household. We were the ones that were trying to change what our parents knew and how they behaved, right? I think back to like the second grade, third grade, right? When in school, um, you know, they were celebrating Thanksgiving 
and you know early on my parents wanted to give us that celebration as well um so my mom would cook tamales and you know slowly but surely like she changed that you know that aspect of of us and what she ended up doing she ended up like cooking turkey you know not knowing how to cook turkey she ended up cooking some dry as fucking turkey um because that's what we we wanted that's what we were looking for right and where did we get this from where do we get these ideas of turkey coming from a you know mexican household we got this shit from school bro we got it from you know seeing these things in books seeing these things in media and then seeing these things reinforced by our white teachers right because if we went to school as a little kid um after thanksgiving and the teacher asks, hey, what you have for Thanksgiving dinner? And your ass says, I had tamales and pozole. Fucking kids will look at you weird, right? Yeah. But if you gave the correct answer and said, I had fucking turkey and gravy and fucking, you know, mashed potatoes and all that shit, then, all right, you're you're fucking the norm, right? And as a kid, that's what you're striving to be. You're striving to be the norm. So, dude, I vividly remember fucking lying about that a few times, right, growing up. Um, so, yeah, man, those things now, like, come to right. mind, right? These fucking tensions that you have with yourself, right? The moment before she asks, like, yo, do I want to tell the truth about having pozole? Or do I want to save face and say I had turkey, right? Um you know, I remember early on, man, not wanting my parents to go to school. Like, it got to a point where I was ashamed of my parents, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad would come from work, like, fucking dirty. He would work at a factory as a welder. You know, he was, he came home dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would rush home to go uh, pick up my report card. And I would be embarrassed. I would be like, yo, are you going to change? Yeah. And, you know, like, that's some bullshit. Like, I was embarrassed by my parents because they didn't have that fucking white-collar job. You know, they didn't meet the norm, you know, that was uh, portrayed within our institutions. So all those things now, like, come to mind, man. You know, and those tensions you speak of, like, having those few jobs and positions uh, that we all have to grind for, creating those, like, tensions within our communities. Like, it's interesting, bro. Like, all that shit, like really fucking is mind-blowing yeah so yeah exactly the tension is not so much it's not natural it's kind of it's structured by like a large structure to make us like you know living in chicago like the red line shit it affects all of these communities right it's like yeah it's almost like a a, a horrible experiment by by people that are, are control structures so this is how we're gonna set this up and yeah. this is what's gonna happen to these communities in this longitudinal way it feels like which is horrible right and sometimes when you're and I think living in Chicago, Chicago is so isolated. It's so, you know, segregated. Um, like, uh, I, I could honestly tell you, bro, like, uh, up until really through high school, I never really interacted outside of, like, the, the zone that was, uh, like, uh, Logan Square, Humboldt Park in Bucktown, right? Like, it was, like, just this area, right? Western Avenue from, like, Fullerton and then to, like, Division, right? This is really the area that was Chicago that was kind of the world to me except when we went to Mexico or Rolling Meadows to visit family. You know what I'm saying? It's the, so in some way, I'm like, yeah, I don't know why, like, at least for me, like, I, we never even thought to venture out sometimes, you know? And it's like, sometimes now that I'm older, I'm like, why did we never want to venture out? Well, why was that never even a desire? Like, that's a fascinating thing to me, you know? Um, anyway, but yeah, 
so then the, I don't have an answer, but then my my I, my question is like, uh, this is not natural. Every, every, many things are socially constructed. So how is me and my peers and my communities matter of fact activity always only constrained to this area? <laughs> I don't know, but that's a good ass question for me to consider, you know? I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's a fucking good ass question, right? And I think the one certainty within that question is that that shit doesn't happen by chance. Um, there's structures that yeah. are in place that cause us to behave in that manner, right? Um, just like there's structures in place that allow white kids to want to venture out and to want to explore. Like what limitations are set by our educators um, in lower income or inner city schools, you know, educators that can't necessarily relate to, you know, black and brown kids. Um, but yeah, it's a fucking dope question to ponder, bro. Um, yeah, and I like starting with that question, you know, because like those early interactions that we have or those early experiences that we have, like really fucking shape and pave the way for our perception of education thereafter, you know? So they could either fuck you up or they can yeah. you know, have a, a pretty good impact on you. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think, uh, you, yeah, it's a trip. I don't know. Like, I, it's hard. And it's hard for me to remember the specificity of, of my childhood as a hit order. But I, I think about like uh, living in the day we live today. There is uh, people try to engage in ambition into youth quicker, right? Which I think is dope. In some ways, it's like uh, we learn from the sins of our fathers. It's like the saying, right? Uh, so we, tr I think, uh, I don't have children, but you know, shout out to to the youth and to the, the other all, all nieces and nephews and just community, right? You see the trends of people, my peers trying to like, it's like a, a shift of how we were raised um, to how now people are trying to raise kids, right? Um, and then it's always curious, like the kind of things that we value, right? Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 I'm I'm always curious about. Like this is more of like a capitalistic, uh, uh, not critique, but like consideration. Like it's um, how do you make more money, right? And I, I always wonder how we associate wealth with culture or with like um, the things that represent who we are as uh, Latinos or or, or or Chicanos or Mexicanos or Boricuas or whatever you want or black or brown or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, like trying to leave the hood thing. You know, mm -hmm. like we grew up this way. We don't want that for you. And I'm always like, I, in the initial, I'm like, yeah, I get it. But then they like, wait, that's kind of, you know, like uh, in an ideal world, we would kind of try to stay in these spaces and, and um, uplift them. You know what I'm saying? Through the ways that we want our kids to. We, we try to plant these ideas in the youth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. No, it makes, so here, here's my perspective on that, right? And it's, um, it's a little loaded, bro, because, I think for individuals who, who have gained an understanding and um, appreciation for culture and, and value, uh, you know, ancestral knowledge, um, non-traditional ways of learning, right? Meaning like um, yeah, um, put value on experience versus fucking paper, diploma, right? Put value on like um, on culture overall. It's a trip, bro. Like uh, because you usually don't gain that um you don't have a solid understanding of culture identity um through traditional schooling especially k-12 like you know like you just don't you're not reflected in the classroom and you always and like i said i think to a certain extent yeah. you almost become this tool of colonization right so 
you've worked for 12 years essentially to develop this mm -hmm. very Americanized assimilated identity, right? Of what it means to be an American, especially within the schooling system, right? And now you've taken that home and for 12 years, you've grinded your parents, right? Your family your, yeah. on, um, on this, this structure of like how you want to be and how you want your family dynamics to change now that they're in America, right? This is, this is here and this is how people operate. Let me teach you as well, right? So now you're colonizing that as well. And then you come to this, this position and this, like, um, this understanding of, of who you are throughout, you know, through, through realization of what, what the system really is, right? Because I think that's when it happened. That's when this appreciation for like culture ultimately takes place, right? Like a true understanding of what the system has done comes with with knowledge, right? Understanding like the injustices, the oppression, all that shit. Yeah. And now you almost gotta go backwards, right? And it's this uh, retro acculturation that has to happen because now you have to reintroduce yeah. these things. And, you know, you have to, um, exactly what you're talking about. You have to, almost convinced not you know like hey you don't you don't need to move out of the hood to like to be successful like you could be successful within the hood. and that's probably more success right like in a certain certain level mm. like to be able to build your community you know so it's almost like like yeah working that much harder because you're going through these fucking crazy phases of like reintroducing your identity is just taking so many fucking it's like a roller coaster so many shifts yeah you know you know what's a trip to bro i think of a a lot of obviously my perspective is very limited because it's limited in my geographical understanding, which is Chicago, right? Uh, so, and then I think about how, uh, like, the monster of gentrification has really largely, I feel, displaced what we consider traditional Mexican communities, or at least it's in a process of ravaging them, right? The machine is big. Uh, I consider like uh, Peoria or Aurora in some ways equally Mexican as I would Pilsen or. Um, or any other kind mm -hmm. of like uh, what I was for me once a traditional Mexican neighborhood, right? Uh, like going through Pilsen, it's a wild, wild for me, right? Because like it's it's really largely white, and you know, like how like the the identity of an artist, the artist can move into these neighborhoods because they're artists and they are, you know, they they say it's like they co-opt an aesthetic of like a poverty or whatever. It's it's cool, you know. I buy a hundred dollar shirts at the Salvation Army and I can fit in, but then them artists become twenty nine. And they get like a better job, and then like they're the ones that kind of pay for the deconstruction of that crib and buy and build that ugly ass condo or that ugly ass house now, you know. But I think through that process, I think about there's, you know, like I, people. I was having a conversation with somebody about uh, my neighborhood growing up, and I'm like, it no longer exists. It don't. It really it, the physical structure exists, but my neighborhood only exists in the in, in the memories of my brain, you know. Because the people don't live there anymore, the corner store doesn't is not there anymore. Even the tensions that I, I don't want to like condemn, even tension amongst communities is not there anymore, right? The tension is about um, uh, like Sunday nights farmers markets and you know who belongs where. So uh, I, I think about like uh, I, I'm also trying to learn how to place a higher value on the way I internally own who I am or who where I come from because I think displacement is historic, you know, in some way, and we will continue to fight it. Like, you know, my immortal technique said in that one song, the goal of a revolutionary is not to win, but to agitate or something like that, right? Like the goal, the, the goal of one person, I don't know if my goal should be, I'm gonna deconstruct the entire system because I'm 38, you know, I'm overweight, 
I'm not going to live to be 100, you know? <laughs> so, like, <I'm, laughs> so what is the point of what I'm trying to do? Or what am I trying to do, you know? But I, so I, I think I'm also learning to value, like, when I go to Franklin Park with my pops to put money to La Familia in Mexico, I'm like, oh, snap, this is a new community of gente, you know, that is not as sexy as uh, Pilsen or any of these other places, right? But it's just as valuable because gente live here, you know? So, like, resource and, like, what, What's her name? Yoso's community cultural wealth concept. Community cultural wealth is alive and rich in this strip of Franklin Park. You know what I'm saying? So then I think, uh, yeah, my dad, that's dope, right? And then, so like, I used to, I'm like, it's like, there's a train here and there's no development here. It's kind of nasty here. Um, but there's a shitload of people that live here. You know, like there's a bakery there. And I'm always fascinated by like the way that the, that hint it can always rebuild in some way. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know why I'm sharing that, but like, uh, I think, uh, I, I think like, I, I wonder, sometimes I ask myself the question about the inability of educational systems because they're always, they're always funded and rooted by like a system that's historic and big to really help us out, you know? So then in my head, I think about like, the wealth has already been in the community. So then I think we should just get do away with schooling. <laughs> uh, and then that makes no sense. I know that makes no sense, right? My thoughts are not clear, but uh, I don't know. I think I think my mom and dad have been the greatest scholars in my life in a lot of ways, you know? And I think school, like you said, teaches me that that's not true. And as I'm getting older, I'm like, no, that is true. There are There's some of the greatest, most brilliant minds in my life, you know, because they, what does it mean to be Latino? What does it mean to be Mexicano, Chicano, whatever? Like they live it out in their own way. You know what I'm saying? And then, so when yeah. to my niece and nephew, when they're like, I don't speak that language. I'm like, this is the crux for me, you know? I'm like, how do you learn to appreciate, not for the purpose of like a, a diversity industrial complex vibe, but just to like honor this, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm making sense, but. You are, man. And it, and it goes back to, like you mentioned, his nephews, right? It goes back to structures of, um, of education. Like, that's really where it starts from, right? Yeah. Because education is still thought of as a top-down fucking um, process where there's experts and there's, there's individuals who need to learn from these experts, right? And these experts, um, you know, have different values, essentially. And it's because education has, for a long time, remained static, the same, right? Like, it's been operating in a similar manner while its population and its constituents have truly changed, right? Yeah. The way we learn is not necessarily the way white kids learn, right? Yeah. Um, this idea of like community and uh, apprenticeship and like learning, learning from seeing others move, right? Um, is a lot more prevalent within our communities, right? Yeah. So that, that needs to be reflected in the classroom. How do we get that in the classroom? How do we flip um, the idea of having an expert to the idea of having funds of knowledge truly come into the classroom. How do we create those partnerships um, with with the moms, right? Who like fucking in home ed or culinary class can probably fucking throw down a lot better than, you know, like whatever they make pasta and shit, you know? How do you use this the maize? You know, like I think that's where we need to head in that sense, in terms of like education. We need to break down what education, what, what it means to be an educator, first and foremost, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, 
holder of knowledge, like break that shit down and like realize that there's different. And I think that's, I mean, we get into bigger uh, philosophical shit, right? Because then, then we get into like, um, what's the value of the degree? Why is the degree so important as opposed to working, you know, like um, a trade, you know, why is college so fucking, like, why is college the only choice, you know? It's a trip, bro. That is a good, yeah, that's a trip. You know, I, uh, I was, my nephew's 18. He's going to be 18. Uh, he's a senior in high school. And that about to hate school, bro. He, he's a tad, but he's just, he's never been a fan of school. I remember since he was four and having to go to preschool or whatever. He's like, I hate school. I'm like, you haven't even gone, bro. <laughs> I love it. But that about to have been consistent in his, uh, you know, positioning of hating school, you know? And, uh, I, you know, I, I worry about him and my father's you need to get it together and get to a college, you know. And so I tell him, you know, community college, you know, and um, I, I also don't want to assume how he thinks. I'm sure he thinks about it more complexly than I consider him to be. But uh, the last time I had a conversation with him about it, I, I was just like, matter of fact, like, if you don't like school, you know, I respect that, you know. But I said, you should consider a trade, you know. I said, um, I, I think uh, I, I don't want you to feel... If you really dislike the process of schooling, even though I think all schooling is, is a beautiful opportunity for you to avoid having to work a job for 45 years yeah. and learn and grow your mind and like think and disrupt things and shuffle things. I said, uh, you should consider a trade. And I think, uh, and if you consider a trade, that's okay too, sweetheart. You know, like uh, I, I think it really is, but I really hope he goes to school, not for like the institutional aspect of it, but like, I think uh, I graduated from Amanda High School with like a 1.6 GPA, bro. I was like a D student. And then I, I was, I, I wasn't, I, I don't know if I was smart, but I, I didn't have the, uh, the tools to learn well. And I went to community college and I did three years of remedial education. I learned how to write and read and do math in college. But it was through that process that I was able to have tension in my thoughts, you know? Um, and even now I'm 38, I'm still barely getting the fruit of that tension because now I'm really starting to think about things. And now I think it would be beautiful for every human to have that opportunity, right? Um, I think the, the problem with schooling is it, it often just teaches us how to be good followers uh, in a way. And, and there's nothing wrong with following, right? Like I follow the lead of my parents when I was a kid. I follow the lead of people that I really think are brilliant uh, in, in, in the work that I do. Uh, yeah, I, I am a follower in the way, so I, I, don't, I don't think that's a condemnation of the term, but it teaches to be specific followers, I think, you know? Um, and I think for Latinos, the, when you look at the intersection of where we live, uh, the resources that are there, the kind of education that we have access to, it teaches us to be specific kind of followers, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know, just, you know, things. Yeah, dude, and I think, um... I remember having a chat with uh, one of my professors, my chair, actually, dope, dope lady, right? Um, and her work is on the idea of smartness as a social construct, right? And like, oh yeah. so we're talking about this, right? And she posed a question, very simple question. She's like, well, what do you think the purpose of education is, right? And, you know, like, I'm like, at what level? She's like, doesn't matter, any level, what's the purpose of education? And I was like, for me, it was like, oh shit, well, like, you know, the ability to like, uh, you know, move socially up the ladder, like gain knowledge, but like for someone who grew up poor, it's, it's, uh, 
it's a fucking uh, a lifeline, right? A token, like you you're able to fucking access this, and now you have choice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's part of it, right? But but shouldn't shouldn't the goal be to create critical thinkers, like? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You know, like shouldn't that be it, right? Because right now, like you said, bro, like it's it's a matter of like this is how you behave, this is what you do, and this is so it becomes um. Yeah, and I think a lot of schools aren't doing that, bro. Like they're not they're they're creating complacency versus and not that that's wrong, but it is to a certain extent, you know, versus like the yeah. critical thought, right? Yeah, you know, like it's um. This is where also kind of I struggle with the the, the there's a current wave of education paradigms and systems that are trying to not bring in um, the value of culture and um, undo the work that was the invisibility of people, right? But I, I, one thing that I think is a struggle that I notice is sometimes the conversations that are abroad about uh, race or ethnicity or the tension of violence in those things are very, like, how do you say, it? there's a lot of words thrown around in the in the zeitgeist or a lot of concepts. And I wonder if people really understand them. Because I, I think, I, I only say that because I'm guilty of this, right? Mm-hmm. I've been getting conversations about things and I, I understand them in a, in a hazy superficial level, but I'm like, what am I talking about? <laughs> and I, I feel like a lot of times, when I, I work in a university, right, and I, I've, uh, I work with brilliant kids, uh, students, students, right? And it's simple, sometimes I, I, there's been moments where I'm like, you're using a lot of really heavy theory. Uh, and, um, but I wonder, like, like, it's like, do you, are you connecting it with reality? You know? Um, or like, uh, it's like sometimes we're, we become very quick. I think there's like, you know how they talk about the prison industrial complex. I really believe that there's an, a diversity industrial complex too, right? It's like uh, the murder of George Floyd happened, right? Last year. And I think uh, people were demanding that Chase Bank and McDonald's give out a statement against the, you know, condemning it. And then my thought is why are we so quick to want Chase Bank and McDonald's and Nike to make statements about this? Cause I'm like, we want, I don't know. I'm like, I, I had a tension with that because I'm like, I don't care if Nike cares, yeah. you know, because Nike is inherently a horrible institution. So like they, so, but then Nike is hip to the game, right? They have marketing geniuses that like, we're going to bring this out and now we're going to make Black Lives Matter shoes. And then we're going to do all of these kind of like uh, advertisements that are inclusive. So there's like a facade of inclusivity all the while the machine is still the same, you know? And I think it's so quick for me to get finessed by the facade while the machine is still the same and nothing's really changed, you know? But Nike, their, uh, their stock price soared when they took out their shoes and when the ad came out and when they, t- they tweeted that thing out, you know? And I think, um, I don't know, it's not the biggest deal, but I also think like the way culture moves, at least, at least the youth that I know, it moves by like, um, just like general pop culture, you know what I'm saying? And I think, uh, the good intention of the good it was supposed to do can do more harm in the end, you know, because it's kind of like just wanting us, it's like eating fast food, you know, I, sh- I should desire more healthy food, but like if you're giving me fast food, it'll satisfy my palate quicker. And it's like my life is just like all these little micro moments of like being satisfied by these diversity statements, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then I'm like, uh, 
is, is there ever really a, a fuller conversation about things that are deeper? You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of talking very generally. I know, but. Yeah, no, man, you're making perfect sense, right? I mean, if you think about it, Fred Hampton said it best, theory without practice ain't shit. And, and it is true, right? There has to be a, an application to, to the theory. But at the same time, application without an understanding or knowledge can also be harmful. Um, and that's kind of what I'm grappling with now, right? Um, in the current context of education and as a response to current social unrest, a lot of school districts are implementing equity initiatives, right? And, I mean, that's fucking great, right? Like, I mean, that's that's what should be happening. You know, schools, districts, education um, as a whole should be wanting to implement these initiatives that create, you know, like a diversity um awareness within within their their buildings right however dude what i'm struggling with is the idea of rushing to implement these initiatives without doing the work and without gaining that knowledge and that understanding of why one this work is important and two how to actually implement it without causing harm to uh to our constituents to the youth right um and i think a lot of districts are doing this in a manner which is rushed just to like you said, you know, just to fucking like react, and I don't necessarily understand the value behind that. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, when I when when I think about even as I'm sharing, I think like um, growth is painful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And maybe these are just the birth pains of growth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Because sometimes I think about that too, and I, I get I get too lost in my own sauce, and I'm like, no, but shut up, Carlos, because the, the reality is in these initiatives, there is a, a, a human being, bro, that you have interacted with in your school that has grown or benefited greatly from a, 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 a syllabus or a curriculum or a program or one night of something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like those things greatly matter because they matter for a human being. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think being in, engaged in this kind of work for such a long time, I, I just kind of I'm used to seeing the 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 mechanism behind how these things are actually more ugly and messy and maybe and they're supposed to be. I don't mean ugly in like a negative way per se, mm-hmm. but you know, like, yeah, like it's it's hard to be an expert in diversity uh, when school like what is an expert, right? But then I think because this horrible things happen and then there's a call for action and then like these institutions acquiesce, then people are like, well, I'm an expert. <laughs> Let me engage the expertise going forward, you know? And that's, I don't know. There's a really funny meme that somebody sent me and it's like, el problema es el capitalismo, you know? And my brain kind of inherently always goes back to that, right? You know, like, but whatever, Carlos. Like, bro, I ate a chicken sandwich yesterday, you know, like, I'm part of the problem, too. You know? <laughs> oh, shit. Is that the new, uh, new reintroduced chicken sandwich? Did they come up with a new one? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Is it good? It's good. It's, bro, yeah. McDonald's is horrible, but, you know, they're consistent everywhere you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They have, they have figured out how to appeal to a palate. You know? There you go. All right, bro, let's take it back a little. Carlos, yeah. Um, yeah. tell me about yourself, bro. So, you know, I'm born and raised in Chicago, right? Northwest side uh, in the, yeah, Northwest side of Chicago. Um, Mexicano, um, I don't know how I identify, bro. Latino, Mexicano, Chicano, 
Uh, I thought I was Puerto Rican for two years when I was a kid, <laughs> just because of the neighborhood I grew up in. Uh, I, I am a, I, so I, I work at, in a, as an academic administrator for an ethnic studies program at, at a university here in Chicagoland. Uh, I'm a PhD student. I'm not old, but I'm still a PhD student. Uh, I'm currently in the process of, uh, I hope to defend my proposal in January as it stands uh, my last submission on Thursday. <laughs> it's the, I'm working on a project that is interested in the impact that ethnic studies curriculum has on Latino students um, post their Latino college experience, you know? How does, um, how does the engagement of ethnic studies affect the development of an identity for a, a, a person that's no longer in the college setting? Um, um, yeah, so I'm working on that. It's the, yeah, how did, that, that, that's the, the, the gist of me, I guess, you know? Uh, yeah, I love food. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm a White Sox fan, even though I'm a North Sider. I'm a person of faith. Uh, um, yeah, I'm internally shy and anxious. <laughs> that's that's the gist. Right? It's a hard question to answer, right? Yeah, I don't know how to answer. That, that makes me think because I'm I'm asking that question in my interview protocol, and I'm like, yeah, it's a hard. I'm like, damn, Carlos, let me let me. <laughs> that is a hard question to answer. So thank you for asking it of me because it helps me to consider it. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my prophet, she's like always start with this one, right? Because it's very it's very telling in terms of like um, it's the like where you want to take the interview or like what you want to like people share what they want to share right yeah uh, and in terms of identity identifying themselves like it's, it's a dope question dude it, it is hard and i i struggle with it consistently because i inherently don't like talking about myself you know yeah <laughs> um yeah so so keeping on that on that tip bro uh tell me about tu familia like what's uh how did you come to be in the u.s yeah so my ogs that's the uh, my, my mom and dad are both from uh, Puebla, Mexico. Um, they both mi uh, migrated here, right? My dad in 1974, he crossed into the United States with a bunch of other people. He ended up in, in Brooklyn, in New York for two years. He worked at a, um, a dry cleaner that was owned by uh, Chinese migrants. Um, and he lived there for two years until he got deported. Um, got went back, was sent back to Mexico. You know, they dropped him off at the border, I think, right? Or they were close to it. Then he has to make his way back to Puebla. He, he came to be the financial resource for a family of like seven, right? So then he kind of had to come back up. Oh, sure. So enough money, cross back, um, cross back to Chicago, because my grandpa was here at that time. And then he was going to go back to Brooklyn. But him and my mom's here. And then, you know, they met here. And then that's why I'm here. <laughs> my mom's similar. My mom's, uh, my mom's crossed when she was, I think, 15. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason, the financial need, um, like many people. Uh, she crossed, she, she was going to cross either way, but then my grandma made my grandpa go with my mom. <laughs> so they crossed together. It's the, they landed in Chicago and she started working immediately. It's the different times, I guess, right? Um, but yeah, so they, that's how, you know, they're my parents. Uh, they've been in Chicago and I was born in Chicago, right? Uh, so they, they lived mostly, I want to say like in the north side or, or like also the west side, right? Like that, close to that Pilsen area, right? 
I don't know where the South Side begins, but people, I think it's like 26 and beyond. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, but yeah, they, 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 they lived here. Uh, they had me in 83. Um, and yeah, so I grew up around my really familial environment, right? My, my dad ended up crossing most of my mom's uh, siblings, like, like paying for the Coyote to cross people, um, cross some of his own siblings. Um, so growing up, that home was kind of like a, 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 a trucker's rest stop for people, you know? Um, and then from that, like a community developed, right? Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of like where I come from. So I, I grew up in that in a neighborhood that was um, Puerto Rican, Mexicano, from what I remember, and also African-American, right? Um, and I remember my childhood being dope too, you know, like uh, being four, playing with like playing with garbage was dope not like in a nasty way but like picking up plastic bottles and making stuff with them and stuff like that uh we we, we grew up close to the um like armitage and kedzie area okay. uh until i was like four or five and then my parents moved closer to like the footage and western area by like logan square bucktown and then uh i went to high school in humble park and and uh yeah and also family was like scattered all throughout that area you know um so yeah, that's that's kind of like a quick synapses of my upbringing, bro. That's um, that's interesting, bro. You mentioned uh, damn, you mentioned your mom coming at fifteen, right? Uh, yeah, and working right away. Yeah. Um, but and then what the other thing that I, that I'm thinking of when you're when you're talking about that, bro, is like this was all pre fucking immediate access of knowledge at the palm of your hands. This was all mm-hmm. mad na- navigational, right? Like, yeah, how do you know where to move, how to move at that age? Even with your, your grandpa, right? But like from Matamoros or Puebla, coming all the way to Chicago, bro. Like that journey. Yeah. Like so, my, my dad. One of his journeys, right? Uh, crossing the desert. <laughs> uh, Coyote left him in the desert, bro. So uh, you know he doesn't talk about it much, but I just assume there's an anticipation of not making it because you're in the desert alone. Uh, and it's like, how do you make it from from Ayutla, Puebla, to the desert? And then the thing that's supposed to guide you, the coyote left your ass. Um, and then I think, uh, I always think about that moment for him, um, for me, you know? And this is one of those things where like, maybe uh, I have a problem of romanticizing or elevating these moments, but he said, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, the binary between the, the seeds of immigrant parents. Um, but I think... Uh, he got some, by the grace of God, he was found by another group and they were able to take him to his stuff in San Diego. And there he, he regrouped with the same people he, that had left him. Mm. And then they flew, he was in San Diego for a week or two, he said. And then they flew him to Brooklyn to drop him off to the gente that were supposed to be entregados, you know? Mm. And somehow he makes it to the apartment with like 14 other people that are living there. He talks to the person and the person that you need to find a job this week um yeah it's like a it, it's a trip you know um and i think uh i don't know how i got lost in why i'm even sharing this but uh yeah i don't know it, it, it's a fascinating thing and like sometimes i don't consider it right and i think my mom and dad were deported multiple times <laughs> i think the last time my mom was supposed to be deported she was working at a factory and it was raided mm. uh and she was eight months pregnant with me oh sure um and then my, I remember her, her and my dad say that her and my dad were having tension that she was still working because she still wanted to work. 
And my dad was like, well, if they deport you, I'm not going to get you this time. Because <laughs> that had happened before. Uh, and then uh, I think she said that the ICE agents, they had a conversation with her. They had a conversation amongst themselves. And then they just told her, just go home. Because I was, he was eight months pregnant. So at that moment, all of the people that she was with, she had to take notes of who they were, how to tell their relatives that they had been deported, you know? But it's interesting because when they, they share these stories with me, they just share them very matter of fact in these remembrances, you know, they'll laugh about the little quirks of the moment. And then I'm and then I'm like, you know, there's a, I remember Tyler Crowley once said, you have to laugh to keep from crying in one of his songs. Like that's like the process of trauma in a lot of ways, right? I think that's why like a lot of comedians are horribly depressed people that are hilarious. You have to laugh to keep from crying. Uh, so I think when I, my parents share these stories, they find humor and horrible shit, you know, like, uh, and that's a tripped out thing to me, you know. Um, and then, like, from that, I'm born in '83, and I'm like mad that I can't get a Happy Meal at seven years old because I saw it in a, in a commercial. <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah, dude, it's yeah, it's it's true. It, it's a traumas that we grow up with, right? But it's also like the the pain that that fucking um that filters into us you know and yeah, 100%, yeah gives us the ability to want to succeed um hey have you uh have you documented uh those stories yes or no um when i was an undergrad actually i documented my like i, I did a ethnographic thing with my dad you know and i recorded it and i transcribed it but um and i still have that but I, you know what i uh, um every time we have just conversations new things come up right yeah. and it's like uh, yeah it's like the process of remembering is, is hard the older you get right but then you remember certain tidbits right like i'm learning more about my grandmother my mom's mom and like uh, just kind of like i remember my grandma used to be this mean lady to me you know but then like i, I start to learn like the horrible violence in general that women face historically but as like as articulated through my grandma's experience you know and i'm like damn you know I'm like, how are you not more mad is my thought mm -hmm. after I learn about a lot of the things that, you know, not just women in like a, a general way, but like the women that I know kind of experience, you know? So I, I what I do now is whenever I, I try to have intentful conversations, I make note of a lot of things that I do remember. Um, and I, I try to just jot them. I don't know for what, but right now just for me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, um, I don't know, man. I think, as I think about it more, I think of almost, uh, for me, it's almost coming like at, um, from a fearful place, like the fear of, like we, what we spoke about earlier, the fear of uh, yeah. losing my parents, right? Yeah. And um, the fear, if I ever have kids, of them not knowing and being able to hear these stories, right? So yeah. I, I, when I was younger, I did the same thing. I interviewed them. But as, as I'm going through this process, like more and more, like I'm like, I need to get back you know, with them in front of a camera and just like, like the aesthetics of like, if I ever have kids and they're not around for them to see their grandparents talking about this and not yeah. me, but to hear from them. I, I keep on thinking about that more and more for some other reason. I find myself like in that moment. No, I, me too. You know, when my mom was sick with COVID, she was past the hospital uh, to get her out of a rhythm. I would take her for drive, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, one time we went for a drive and then she recollected a, a, a person she knew that gave her weekend work to clean houses. And then I, just, I learned about this whole experience of my mom 
with like this lady and how the, these rich people would give these clothes and how like these clothes would somehow make it down to Mexico and to Central America, you know? Mm. And it was like this thing that was like a consistent stream of clothing. Um, and I was I'm like, damn, that's a wild story. And I was like, I, I never would have known that. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't know to ask that question. But in this moment, because we were just loosely driving and I think we drove by a, a big house in the lake and it reminded her of that house. And she just told me the story and the person's name and then how the person passed. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, damn, this is a, uh, so I, I remember it intently, you know, and I kind of keep it, I, I documented it for myself just to remember this really wild experience that my mom's had, you know? And it's like, yeah, there's so much rich, just there's so much data <laughs> or uh, terabytes of, of things that yeah, everybody. You know? and, it, and for me, it's almost también, in all honesty, like a, I can't help but feel guilt, you know, um, whenever I think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I simplified my parents' experience, you know, and the knowledge, like, because of what Spain did to me, you know, it's almost like, oh, like, like simple people, like, no saben, you know? Yeah. Yeah, bro, same. same. And that's kind of like a guilt that, like, is consistent, like, oh, shit, like, incredibly intelligent individuals like incredibly intelligent individuals yeah and you know what's a trip bro yeah I, i've had the same experience and i've had the same i've done the, i've engaged in similar in a, in a trauma like that with my parents where like i thought the same way about them and i had when i think about it i'm, I'm so mad at my former self in that mm-hmm. way but then i think i think my parents also have like this imposter syndrome thing you know like uh i think imposter syndrome is often uh uh, identify with like students and things of that nature but I think like my my parents in their older age are still mad brilliant and then like they don't recognize how vital and rich uh, and wealthy they are in terms of their humanity you know what I'm saying and I, sometimes I really I, I'll tell them like no you're smart you know that like whenever they because there's always a default you know but soy indita or whatever right and like it's like um I think because that term has been so used as like a negative, uh, you just embody this that you are and also a negative, you know? But I'm like, no, shout out to the Indita, whatever that is fucking brilliant, you know? Like, don't, like, anyway, yeah. And then I try to do it without making them be like, shut up, you know, like, let me just be, yeah. you know? It'd be corny as shit, like, no. Yeah, it's... but like, in terms of, I think yeah. about, and I just kind of reflect, you know? And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't want to rob you of how you feel about yourself right now. And I don't really have, the world without to dig that in a, in a good way but i do get mad at that you know or like the idea i, I used to get this a lot um you know um vete a la escuela para que no tengas que trabajar como burro yeah yeah you know like that you know and it's like dude like yeah you're grinding you're, you're putting like my my ability to succeed is based on your efforts and your work yeah you know? like not, that's so true you know for the i remember we would hang out and I would always say stuff like that in front of my brother and my dad I'm like my dad is working so hard so we don't have to work like him like a slave I will say shit like that not knowing that that hurts my dad (laughs) uh and uh and my brother Marcos I love him to death my brother works for Finko Steel it's a steel company and uh like a foreman one of the harder jobs I think any human being can have is working in a steel mill and I am 
my brother Michael is one of the hardest working human beings I know, you know, se mata. But I'm incredibly proud of him because of how hardworking he is. And he's like my parents the most in that way. But when I look it back in how I used to say that to him about, you know, you need to go to school so you're gonna become like my dad. I, I get I mean I get mad at myself and it's like a hurtful thing to remember because I'm like, no, one of the people that I'm most proud of is my brother Marcos, you know, because of um I know we shouldn't romanticize resilience, but I also say fuck that, because I think people who are resilient need to be um not made a, continuously aware of that oppression of the resilience. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to honor him too, you know, because like he's 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 kind of putting He's just doing the thing, you know? He, and, like, my dad was, like, the same way, you know? So, like, yeah, I feel the same way, bro. Like, I, there's a lot of wealth. Even in my carnal, you know, my carnal, he, he works like a, he works hard as hell, hard job. He deals a lot of hard things. But I think, you know, he's he's stronger than any any way I'll ever be as strong, you know? And, uh, yeah, I just want to honor that, you know? <laughs>